Welcome to Wise TV, your source for women in sports entertainment. I'm your host, Amber. Join me as we meet women from all walks of life who are making an impact both on and off the playing field. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget to find us yeah, on Instagram yeah, yeah, at yeah. wisetv.2020 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to find current episodes yeah, yeah. and get sneak peeks of our yeah, upcoming yeah, guests. Yeah, yeah, you won't yeah. want to miss what we have coming. Hello and welcome. Welcome to another episode of Wise TV. I'm so happy to have today's guest with us, Aspen C. Um, is someone that came into my life a little while ago and has been nothing but a positive impact. And so I'm so glad to bring her to the program today. Aspen, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about you. They know me by now, but we would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first, Amber, thank you so much for having me and congratulations on the Wise TV platform. Um, the work that you're doing is so necessary right now. As as women, uh, we've been undervalued for a long time. So it's nice to, to be involved and invited to a place where we're celebrated. Um, good afternoon. I am Aspen. Uh, I am a Central Indiana native, resident, born and raised Hoosier who is venturing off again back out into the world. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit as well, but just super excited mm-hmm. to be here. Um, just someone who loves to laugh and loves life. Wonderful. Welcome. And thank you so much for joining us. So I invited Aspen today because we're talking about women in sport from a couple of different aspects. And so Aspen comes to us as a former student athlete. And so Aspen, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your journey as a student athlete, kind of where you got started, where you ended up, what influenced your choice to pursue athletics into your undergraduate coursework. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit uh, more after that. Yeah. So I started off in athletics very young. I was maybe four or five with T-ball. Um, <laughs> I was one of two girls on my little league T-ball baseball team at the time. Okay. Um, my dad had been an avid baseball fan his whole life. He played amateur baseball. Um, and I have a younger brother who was also a gifted amateur baseball player as well. So our whole house loves baseball, right? We're just a sports okay. house. Um Baseball transitioned to softball for me. The outfield also transitioned to um, behind the plate. So I played catcher for about 15 years Um, and just love that, you know, moved up through the Little League system, played in high school uh, for the high school, my local high school team, uh, played in a couple of travel tournaments, did that whole thing. And but was never a division one athlete. Right. So athletics was never the center of my universe. Um, Mm -hmm. And so. I decided on my institution, which is a small private uh, female liberal arts school in Atlanta um, at the end of seventh grade. I knew that's where I was going to go to college. It just felt right. Never changed my mind. Ended up going there uh, post high school graduation. They had a softball team. I'm like, softball is what I do, right? It's something I do. Mm -hmm. You know, you're at that point in life. You're like, let me join every club. Let me go to every interest meeting. (laughs) Um, You're trying to make friends. You're trying to figure out where you fit in on campus. Um, And so went to tryouts, made the team um, and became a member of NCAA Division three softball program and had no idea what was in store for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Very good. Now, tell me, I'm assuming that there was still travel involved. with Division Three being a student athlete there. So how did that affect your, um, and I guess maybe not as much because you were kind of used to it having gone through softball 
in middle school and high school, even down to Little League. But I'm curious about how being a student athlete and at a competitive university, um, which you were, one that is very challenging, how did that kind of balance out? I failed, literally. (laughs) Um, It was the first time in my life uh, being in season that I failed a course. Okay. Completely failed a course. And so that's the end result, right? So let's start at the beginning. Um, Off season means your conditioning. It means Mm -hmm. your training. And that was a pretty adjustable schedule for me. I was used to, you know, training year round. Um, But once in season started, no one tells you that the college schedule, every game is two games. So you're playing double headers. Mm -hmm. Every trip is a series. So you're playing at least two days, same team. Um, And you're taking two to three trips a week. So out of a seven-day week, four days, you're on the road. That leaves three days to be actually physically in class and or focus on schoolwork. I was not prepared for that in the least bit. I'm an 18-year-old, sort of nose-wide-open freshman, just excited to be in college, excited to be playing. I was not prepared, and I did not – I didn't own those time management study skills. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's actually a really great segue because I'm curious about how that experience um, translated to and potentially informed then your professional life. Were there things that you learned or lessons that you picked up or tools that you gathered during that time that you even now currently use? Yeah, um, for me, I have always been a chronic overachiever. And so failing, actually failing at something um, was a, a lesson I needed to learn, right? But B, mm-hmm. I think I think I got the most, I gained the most wisdom and knowledge of how do I bounce back from this? Having to go through the process of figuring out what bouncing back from this looked like for me um, and, and working through those emotions. I think, you know, a lot of times people see your end result and they don't see the process to get there. And so knowing that, OK, you've got something, you've got a situation now, you've got decisions to make. You've got to find a way to take next steps to rectify this. So my immediate next step was summer school. <laughs> okay. And so I went to summer school to recruit those credits and, and then learning about, you know, what does the process for grade forgiveness look like on campus and working through those processes. But then also realizing, you know, I had a decision to make when it came to what was going to be best for my next step in life. Was that to continue in a sport that, although I loved, had literally burned me out. I was tired. I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I wasn't successful in school anymore. And the reality of Division Three athletics is there's no financial incentive uh, for your time commitment. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's no scholarship associated with it. It's literally for the love you're playing and you're committing for the love of the game. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, my knees were tired. My soul was tired. <laughs> and so I made the decision to be done. Um, I decided yeah. I was not going to play the next the next year. I thought I would revisit again, you know, after next season. Um, and it just so happened that my institution at the time uh, decided that they would discontinue competitive athletics for the for the college. Oh, okay. So a, a one year sit out for me, thinking that I was going to take a break, ended up becoming the end of my my softball quote unquote career. Um, and it's okay. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, finished, I finished college on time. There were so many lessons learned. And I have amazing teammates who I became really great friends with. 
incredible women. Um, but for me, you know, the lesson in that was how do I react to failure? And then how mm-hmm. do I bounce back? Um, and so even now, I think that's translated into my professional life with I am very much a stickler for making sure that I, if I say I'm going to do something, I, I finish, I commit mm-hmm. to it. Um, understanding that I have to manage my schedule accordingly, just that time management aspect of it and asking for help when you need help, right? Not feeling like you're out there drowning in the deep end on your own, Um, understanding that there are resources available out there to assist you. That's a lesson. That's something I didn't know at the time that I, I, that I've learned over time. Um, And so, you know, it was, it was a positive experience looking back, but in the moment you feel like your world's ending, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's so relevant that you point that out because a lot of times we look at athletes and I think for most athletes, um, you know, that are competitive, you know, they're playing in middle school, they're playing in high school. Many, if not all athletes, their goal is I want to go D1, right? That's the that's the target. If you're, if you're super active, you're super competitive, you're thinking I want to go D1. But the reality is that Division One is a small percentage of the functioning student athletes that go on and are and are active in their collegiate careers. We have Division Two, we have Division Three, we have other conferences that are taking place. And so, um, you know, when you think about you, know, how committed am I to this? sport? Is it that I'm there for the scholarship? Am I there for the recognition? Or am I there because I love this game? I love this sport. I love competing. I'm passionate about this. Um, And that's one of those choices that sometimes people have to make. And I have talked to people in the past who maybe had offers from Division One and realized that they didn't want to, um, you know, perhaps have to do all the things that come with being a division one athlete in say division one football, division one basketball. And they wanted to be able to have some other options while they were a student. And so it's so interesting that you, that you talked about how you were really there for the love of the game. And that even though you didn't necessarily finish your collegiate career as an active student athlete, there were still so many tools that you were able to take away from that. Oh yeah. Just the discipline that comes with, you know, training on that level and the rigor of, you know, competing that frequently, um, mm-hmm. the camaraderie, the teamwork. Uh, it, I mean, just it was really a great, I think, avenue into adulthood for me and understanding um, personalities and mm-hmm. folks that you're going to be spending a lot of time with. You know, high school is a little bit different. Y'all go to school together. You may have class with your teammates. You know, y'all play in a couple games. Y'all practice after school. But everybody goes home. They go back to their friend groups. When you're a college athlete, that team during that season, that is your family. (laughs) Y'all see each other all the time. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And there Mm -hmm. there really is no break. Um, And so understanding how people's personalities work and just, you know, how you enjoy each other's company. Um, Mm -hmm. The bond, right? So the the team bond is a little bit different for a college athlete. Going back to the point that you were making, I think it's really important to mention, you know, softball is not a – lucrative professional career path, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, outside of Division One college athletics and maybe a couple of national teams who play in international tournaments, there is no lucrative professional softball league, right? So I mm-hmm. knew going into this that, you know, that wasn't going to be the outcome of me playing collegiate softball. It was just literally, mm-hmm. it was for the love of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that economics degree, on the other hand... <laughs> would be my ticket to, to being able to feed myself, right, and into starting a career later on. Um, and so I think that that was probably the largest part of my decision to, to mm-hmm. end my softball career. 
Um, but I wouldn't take back that that time for anything. So let's talk a little bit about economics. Let's talk about your path after after softball. So you you did one year, you played one season um, successfully in some aspects, and then you went on and you started thinking about what was next. So can you talk to us a little bit about what your path has been since then? Sure. So upon graduating college, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. Um, about two months out from graduation, I went on a trip with my, my college to Washington, D.C. to meet with some alumna who were working, you know, sort of the politics Capitol Hill scene. Um, and mm-hmm. so I connected with an alum and she uh, mentioned a program, which was the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation Internship Program. And she said, you know, if you're interested, please apply, you know, reach out to me list me as a reference and that sort of networking piece. So I applied Mm -hmm. for the program um, and was accepted. And so one week after graduation, I drove my car from Atlanta to DC to start an internship on Capitol Hill, working for Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And it was a transformative experience for me. And I ended up staying on the Hill throughout that summer and, and got burnt out. Okay. You're working 10 hour days. Um, the party that, you know, my office was affiliated with was not in power. So none of the things that you're working on are moving. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's frustrating. It can be frustrating. And, and so I left D.C., came home to Indiana and uh, moved back in with my parents, 22 years old. No clue what I mm-hmm. wanted to do. And um, I substitute taught for six weeks and um, just trying to figure it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I decided, you know, I know I'm going to end up going to graduate school eventually, but right now I'm tired of school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to work and ended up looking into an opportunity um, to work in poverty alleviation and community development and through the AmeriCorps program. And so AmeriCorps took me to Waco, Texas, where I worked at Baylor University out of the Office of Community Engagement and Service. And I fell in love with that work, just really sort of community-centric, people-centric work, um, utilizing resources of the university to help build up the community. Um, I just, I fell in love with that process. And left there, came home, worked in the state legislature for a little bit here, uh, particularly working in budget. So on the Indiana State, um, by, by any old budget process. Um, for the Democratic Caucus, and um, that was also a very transformative experience for me to really realize how our tax dollars are going to work. <laughs> um, and left there, I went to graduate school. Ended up studying public policy on the graduate level at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Left Philly, came home this most recent time, um, and and started working in higher ed and government spaces for the last four years. Um, And I am currently in transition up to Chicago um, because I am now serving as deputy chief of staff at Chicago State University. Okay, very good. And congratulations. I know I have congratulated you previously on that, but it's always nice to just celebrate someone's accomplishments and especially such a major move for you. So I'm so excited. I know our listeners are excited for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm curious, and you can you can talk, speak to this to any aspect of your career. Do you feel like women are um, or have been fairly represented in your field? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. 
So let's, I mean, the elephant in the room that's not even really an elephant anymore, because I'm happy to hear folks are talking about it, is women are severely undervalued, both for our skills and financially, right? Mm -hmm. Across every industry, almost, there is a wage equity gap between men and women. I identify particularly as a Black woman. And so, you know, if you add the layer of race in there, Black women make roughly... 66, 67 cents to every $1 that a white man's making, given the same Mm -hmm. credentials, same experience, same role. And so, you know, are women being fairly represented? Absolutely not. Are women being fairly treated? Absolutely not. Are women being fairly compensated? Absolutely not. Um, In the space for government and politics that are supposed to be representative, I will tell you Mm -hmm. that while our elected officials still have a huge disparity of men and women of representation. I think in Indiana, one fourth of our elected officials are females and 51% of the state's population are women. So we're talking about a 25% equity gap there. Mm -hmm. There are also people who work for politicians. So those are what they call professional advocates, lobbyists, um, congressional staff, legislative staff, budget analysts, attorneys. Those numbers Mm -hmm. are even more stark. Um, And so you know, we've got a lot of work to do in our industry and sector spaces when it comes to sort of gender equity uh, in mm-hmm. the workplace. And, and sadly, it, it's literally across every single industry. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's and it's so surprising a lot of times when you hear it, because you'll think about places and you think, well, surely the numbers are better here. And then you pull the numbers up and it's so much worse than what you anticipated. Um, and it's really, you know, disappointing. But that's why we have created spaces like this where we can highlight what women are doing and encourage women to say, you know, there are opportunities out there. There are ways that you can oh, yeah. get connected and, and really, you know, providing that education for people so that we're able to to kind of shift what the narrative is to what we need it to be. Absolutely. And, so, and to drive the conversation, um, not to cut you off, mm-hmm. anymore, but I think no, no, no. one of the things that I'm encouraged by recently is just this openness that women are uh, having when it comes to talking about career roles, what we experience on the job and money. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, it's been taboo, right? You don't go on, you don't talk about what you offer. You don't talk about your salary, but for centuries, that's what men have done. They've Mm -hmm. leveraged, they've leveraged that to to their collective benefit. Um, And so, you know, We've got to be open and honest about to have those money conversations. And because mm-hmm. I know that if, if Amber's being treated fairly or unfairly, that's going to affect how I'm going to be treated in that work environment or mm-hmm. who comes after, you know, both you and I. Um, and, and so I, I'm really excited for you in this platform and just in conversations that we have with our friends um, about the realness of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so funny because I just um, I just was in negotiations for a role that I'll be taking on. And that was one of the first things that, you know, I had to discuss with the with the team was this is the offer that I've been given. This is what my value is based on my experience and education. And this is a comparable value based on what's being paid in the market and industry. And for me, you know, certainly contract negotiation and, and talking about salary was not something that ever came up 
um, in any of my undergraduate coursework, in any of my community engagement things, it was something that I had to pick up on my own and really kind of figure out if I want to be fairly paid and, and you know receive wages that are on par with what my colleagues are getting and especially with what my male colleagues are getting, I had to learn how to vocalize and speak up for myself and advocate for that for me. Absolutely. So another question for you, if someone's considering a career in your field, which right now um, you're in education, uh, what steps would they need to take to get there? I'd say first, figure out what it is you want to get out of the experience. What is it that thing that you're passionate about that's nagging at you? Um, In higher ed, there's a plethora of types of roles. So everything Mm -hmm. from university president to, you know, CFO. Um, A university really is sort of sort of a ecosystem of its own. So, you know, you've got your HR folks, you've got your academics. So you've got your faculty that are really the bread and butter of your campus. My role out of the office of the president really is to focus on President Scott's vision for the university as it Mm -hmm. deals with community partners, strategic initiatives. Uh, new programming. Um, And so I get to innovate, create, um, network, connect. Those are sort of skills that I've developed over the course of my career that I knew that I wanted to continue to hone. And so I would say Mm -hmm. pinpoint those skills that is that you want to, that you want to hone and start looking at roles based on how you're going to develop most in those areas. Um, The second thing I would say is do your research on people who are already doing the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, figure out folks that are in the spaces that you see yourself being in and then reach out. Keep it professional, you know, just a quick hi, introduce yourself, let them know your reason for reaching out. You know, if you having specific questions always helps that conversation. And then just being mm-hmm. respectful of folks time to say, you know, if you've got 10 to 15 minutes or you're open for a coffee to talk with someone who's looking to enter into the profession, you know, I'd be open to that opportunity. I think that that's helpful as well because they can give you experience and, and insight on things that you won't be able to read about online. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. And it, and it goes right into my next question. You, as well as several of our other guests, have really kind of talked about um, networking. It's a thread that's kind of woven through each of the conversations that I have had. Can you speak a little bit to perhaps the power of networking that you have recognized in your personal or professional path? Yeah. Um, Understanding how networks works is invaluable, uh, but also understanding that you are a network. <laughs> and so every interaction that you have is a networking experience. And so what I mean by that is, you know, networks provide a lot to us, but also there's a responsibility that comes with that, that we also branch out. We also share information. We also reach out to up and coming professionals. We also pour more women on board. With that network, I think, comes a responsibility. It's really a two-way street. Um, And so for every opportunity that I've had, there has been someone who has either advocated for me or championed for me. Um, Or a relationship that I've taken from that experience and been able to leverage into new experience. Um, And so, you know, I'm a person of faith, so I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, it is my responsibility to uh, pass 
pass that network experience on, that positive networking experience onto someone else. Um, and so, you know, networking sometimes gets a bad rap. So the people, you know, oh, it's social climbing. Oh, it's, you know, you're hoarding opportunities. Oh, you know, they're only going to call their buddy uh, or their buddy's kid for this role. And while, yeah, that is a form of networking that can be toxic and oppressive, networking doesn't have to be that. Um, and, and I think if we really look at it with a responsibility to use networks to uplift, I think that we can sort of we can begin to change that narrative, particularly in our community. That's excellent. Thank you. So we are sports. We are a sports cast. And so I do have one final question for you. Okay. And it is if you could pick out one athlete as a favorite or, or a role model, be it a, or a coach or a broadcaster, who would that be and why? Oh, just one, <laughs> just one. If you have, to, if you have a top two, we'll we'll let top two in. Okay, so I'll I'll go with a tandem here. Um, I will say athlete current would be Serena Williams. I okay. respect her dedication to her craft. I respect her dedication to herself as a woman. Um, and I, I respect her using her platform, uh, to progress humanity and in, in the world. Um, and in tandem with that, I would say her father, Richard Williams. Um, and the, and the reason that, you know, I look to him now in adulthood a lot different than I did as just sort of a hard dad coach pushing his girls to be great. And he taught them who they were. He taught them that who they were were excellent the way that they were. And he did not settle for anything less when it came to management, contracts, mm-hmm. their treatment in a sport that was they were largely underrepresented in. Right. You know, mm-hmm. when they came onto the scene, we had never seen little black girls with beads who were playing top tier tennis on television. Um, right. But the confidence that he and their mother instilled in them to be able to do that in a world that was not ready for them or may not even have wanted them to be there. Um, I respect that. Mm -hmm. I highly respect that in the way that they've done it. And so I would probably say the Williams for that reason. I think that's an outstanding pick. My goodness. Like, I feel kind of like that should be my favorite pick now from now on also because you articulated it so well. And truly, when we think about the impact that the Williams sisters, that their entire family had on sport in general, and of course, the sport of tennis coming out, being their true and authentic selves, uh, you know, being representative of their culture and community was just, you know, something that kind of took my breath away at the time. And now looking back at what the circumstances were then and what the environment looks like now is really something that for me, I can be forever grateful and thankful for. So I think that's an amazing pick. Wow. Yeah. And we get to see their their legacy in real time, right? How many young black girls or, or young women of color are playing at the highest levels of tennis now? There are several. Um, and mm-hmm. I just think that that's so cool to be able to be living to witness that. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, Aspen, we are right at the end of our time. I want to thank you again for joining us today. You have provided so much insight and been so great. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us as we featured another phenomenal woman today for Wise TV your one-stop shop for women in sports entertainment. 
Don't forget to follow us online at wisetv.2020. We'll see you on the next.